Good morning. I'm Elizabeth Gareb, and it's October 26, 2020. I'm speaking with Evgenia Kuzmina and Jem Gimlet remotely as part of the WPI's Paul Gauguin Oral History Series. Evgenia, do I have your permission to record this interview? Yeah, of course. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of a personal introduction and uh, tell us a bit about your research experience before joining the WPI. Sure. I've been working all this all my life on the art, and in particular in the art and aesthetics of modern art. Doctor in art history, my professional experiences give me expertise in research methods, archive processing, and scientific publication. But indeed, my life transcurred between the walls of the museums in Spain and in France, mostly. I've been working in Tissin Bortemitsa Museum in Madrid. I've been working in saint Georges Pompidou at Paris and Comité Chagall in Paris and in Museum of Chagall in Nice. And I've been involved in a number of uh, provenance research projects in the inventory of the collections and the organizing of the exhibitions. My work has given me the opportunity to explore numerous international archives and to establish relationships with numerous institutions, museums, and galleries that, of course, helped me a lot with the Gauguin's Catalog Resume project. Great. So when did you join the WPI and uh, start working on Gauguin? Uh, it was uh, um, one year and a half ago. Yeah, but actually my first encounter with Paul Gauguin's work happened in Russia in the Museums of Moscow and St. Petersburg with this wonderful collection of Impressionist and modern French art. The Bushkin Museum, for example, conserves a great amount of archival sources on Russian collectors, not only very well-known ones such as Morozov or Brother Shukin or Tretyakov, but also less known ones really very related to Gauguin, uh, such as Viktor Golubov. Um, Pavel Ettinger or Sergei Makovsky, who was also a very well-known poet and art critic, and he was responsible for the organization of the exhibition of French art in 1912, where Gauguin was very widely represented. As well, it's very interesting because for me, from Russia, I'm Russian, yeah, and Gauguin had really very important influence on the culture of 19th and 20th century. He was widely represented on the pages of symbolist art journals, such as The World of Art in English, Apollon, Gazette des Beaux-Arts, and he was retributed, his works were commented, and his masterpiece, Noir Noir, has been published with the commentaries of Makovsky. He has also influenced a lot the uh, paintings of Russian avant-garde. So for me, of course, he was one of the greatest encounters from my very tender childhood. Yeah. Wow. So that's quite a bit of experience on Gauguin. So the Gauguin catalog raisonné, of course, is a huge, huge undertaking. And um, it's almost intimidatingly large. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you even began with your research when um, faced with with the project at the WPI? Where did you begin? Well, yeah, it's so exciting and intimidating at the same time to work on such a great artist as Paul Gauguin. And then the process of building up of the catalogue resume passes through very 
difficult and uh, various stages. I mean, we start just with the beginning, identifying a list of works to be included to the catalogue raisonné, um, just a photo of the work, dimensions, technique, inscriptions, and actual location, if known. After the establishing this first corpus of artworks, this first very document, we proceed with the establishing the bibliography and exhibitions list, which is really very important step in the building of the catalogue raisonné, because it's not only contribute to the connaissance of the artist's work, iconography that gives us the map of scholarship, technique, and material history of work, but also permit us to shed new light on the question of ownership, because bibliography sources and exhibitions give us extensive information sometimes on collectors and lenders, uh, provide us with photographies of the epoch, and we begin at the beginning. I mean, we try to go from the references, from the um, life being of the artist, and until our times, yeah. And only after compiling this very important piece of information, we can proceed actually with the provenance research, which is crucial. To start with your provenance, yes, to start with the provenance research, did you use um, the Wildenstein 1964 catalog raisonné as the base? It's not such a base, but it's of course it's our publication of reference because it's the first attempt to establish a comprehensive and annotated listing of paintings by Gauguin with the scholarly compendia on the artist's work based on research and archival sources. It's also a very important source of the visual and scientific knowledge on Gauguin's work. Some paintings by Gauguin, for example, were destroyed or disappeared during the Second World War. And sometimes it's really very difficult to obtain a correct visual of the painting. In these circumstances, it's very useful to have the photo of the painting in the catalogue. I'm talking precisely about Noah Nauf, 1894, of um, Femme Nue Assise d'un Paysage in 1902. Well, while working in the catalogue can be really useful as well to consult different parts of the catalogue. I mean, all of them are important. Uh, the uh, list of owners, exhibition list, bibliography, but I mean, we don't have to forget that it was a publication of 1964 and there are a lot of mistakes and obsolete information. So we have to check every um, element of the provenance, everything, and to complement it, to update it. And sometimes it happens to us to obtain very substantial changes. For example, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about Drama Village of 1894. It was a great confusion in the catalogue of 1964 with another painting uh, called um, Human Miseries of 1884. And the history of both paintings were confused. So thanks to the work with the Volar archives and the other sources and archives, we were able to make the distinction between these two paintings and establish the correct uh, history of the provenance. Oh, great. So also at your disposal were the research files of several scholars that had worked with the Wildenstein Institute in the past. Could you talk a bit about using those files and some of maybe the the conflicting evidence uh, that was held in these files and how you reconciled some of the differing opinions that you came across? Yeah, um, that's as well a very important source of piece of information for us. 
but we have to say that I mean analyzing these archive files and these um, several opinions, the most important for us is to focus on the evidences that each author gives. Even if it's really very well-known scholar, uh, we can't take his word for the provenance. So we try to check the information he gives us, crossing with the archival information documentation we were able to compile on Gagan, uh, dossier files, and another sources that we were able to consult, for example, I mean, Getty, Brevich archive for the Danish and Swedish collector, Sadiq, uh, etc., etc. So the process is just, I mean, to focus on the evidences and to check every piece of information because it's the only possibility to abolish the discrepancies uh, in the so difficult problems of provenances and exhibitions. So can you perhaps highlight for us some of the new discoveries or new information that you found in the course of your research? Yeah, I think something that's what's really interesting and revelatory for us, it was the existence of contract existing between uh, uh, Levi Ishode that Gauguin made, signed in 1895, just before he left for uh, the second time to the Tahitian Islands. That's very interesting because it has never been actually very highlighted in the Gauguin scholar literature. And we were able to identify a number of works that passed through the uh, through the months through the hands of these dealers, and to know what happened exactly with the painting uh, between his exhibitions in Durand Royal in 1893 and the, his disastrous sale of 1894, and what happens afterwards, he actually left France forever. Another important point was to discover how many paintings actually passed through. Rosenberg Gallery in Paris that was very few known and it, it, at all um, reflected in the catalogue raisonné by uh, on Gauguin in 1964 or Tannhauser ownership that we were able to uh, highlight thanks to work in the Tannhauser archives digitized by Sadik and it will it help us to fill up a lot of gaps on the provenances and shed light on the exhibits of Gans work on Tannhauser galleries. Another very fascinating thing was about discovery uh, works in the collection of Pakaguri identification of the works. Some of them were considered as to be lost and through um, the consulting of the press of the epoch, the references, to know how this collection by works of Gauguin were received in Bilbao and in Spain. Another very important point was work with Volar archives in the Museo d'Orsay and in the PI, and that permitted us to elucidate a lot of prominent subjects and a lot of issues uh, in regard to a relationship between Gauguin and Vollard and his development and how, how, how in what degree he was involved in the organizing of his exhibitions, etc. And we were also able to identify a number of exhibits in the exhibition 
in the last gallery that didn't have any catalog. So that's, yeah, that's some of the most fascinating points. That's extraordinary. And so much of this will be completely new to uh, scholars of Gauguin's work, I'm, I'm presuming, yeah. because this has never been published before. Exactly. For example, you, you talk about the, the Levy and Chaudet contract. Where did you find that? Oh, um, we crossed uh, this in the correspondence of, of Gauguin, in the archives of Gauguin. That's a very important point, uh, where he gives us very elements, uh, how he signed the contract, the works he left in with him. And then there is an inventory on Chaudet, which actually uh, the second one is kept in the PI archive. So it was very important to cross around these references and to find out. Uh, the works and also there is a correspondence uh, between Vollard, uh, Mollard and other contemporaries of Gauguin on this subject. Of course, uh, Daniel de Montfred and all these evidences permitted us to elucidate this very complex problematic. Talk to me a bit about the Gauguin archives at the WPI. When we talk about Gauguin archives. What, what are we talking about exactly? What are what are these archives, and who compiled them? Where did they come from? I, it depends. When I talk about Gauguin archives, I'm talking as well the archives of the, the WPI where the Gauguin is mentioned. I mean, for example, Volar archives or Chaudet correspondence or correspondence with another artist where Gauguin is mentioned. This is the first source. Then there there were a lot of information that were compiled before in the dossier files. They are just a piece of archive information that help us all this together to build up the picture of the of the prominence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's not just Gauguin archive in himself, just the fragments of the archives of his writings, of his memories in the archive or the mention of his name in the another connected archive like Chaudet, Volar, or others. Mm-hmm. From from an art historical perspective, um, I'm wondering if you have a a different understanding of Gauguin, um, working with these archives, finding new information, perhaps considering some of the relationships that Gauguin had with dealers during his time. Has your understanding of his art changed in any way? I mean, I can't tell you. I think it um, it permits you to see the artist from another way. Uh, it's the history of, of his life, of his work. But I mean, I don't think, because I didn't have any preconception on his work. So that's why it was not possible that it has changed. But of course, I deepened my connaissance in the work uh, of Gauguin on his life, on his way of proceeding with uh, with the collectors, with uh, his contemporaries, with his art. Now, you were working primarily um, remotely for this Catalog Raisonné project. Is that correct? You were working yeah. at a desk in an office, either the WPI office and then later during COVID from your home. Yeah. How I I presume that most of that research depended upon digital resources. 
Can you talk a bit about the difference between working with digital resources and working from the paper files that you had at your disposal at the WPI office? Were there any particular contrasts or frustrations or what did you find easier? Well, I think, I mean, in some way, I, I love a lot the content to paper to the real archive, but as well, we have to recognize that working with the digital information can be sometimes more easily and you can win a lot of time by doing this. So this is the difference. Both of them are complementary. I think, no, certainly, uh, yeah. No, certainly during, during COVID, the digital archive, I imagine, um, or the digital resources were vital. You wouldn't have been able to continue exactly, with the project. Exactly. I mean, even... When, even when I was working from BPI, if I didn't have any access to another digital archives, international archives, I wouldn't be able to compile all this valuable information. I wouldn't be here and working hard on it. And But if we only were able to work with dossier files, we wouldn't be able to discover a lot of new things. That's right. And so with the publication of the digital catalog Raisonne, do you think um, that users of catalog Raisonnés will have a better experience? Um, well, I don't want to load the deck. Do you, uh, let me just say, do you think that, how will their experience change working with a digital catalog Raisonne as opposed to a print catalog Raisonne? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are very substantial advantages in the digital catalog is on it over his printed counterpart and it's that you can update the correct information you put in which is imagine uh, which is it's impossible with the printed version and it's i think some i know that some scholars think that it's kind of tricky and it's not because it's not absolute authority but i think it's uh, the reverse we can update information because mostly of the published uh, catalogs resume in the past, once they were printed, they can be obsolete very quickly because the information uh, changes very quickly and you were not able to, to do this. So I think it's one of the greatest advantages of the digital catalog resume. And on the other hand, with the digital publication, you have this possibility uh, to explore for example, the scans of the sales catalog and other documentation that you were not able to do with the public version because of its limited nature. So I think it will be very of a great benefit for all these scholars, but as well for the students, for the curators that could have very quick access to the old water bags to be, will be able to build up their loans or even their virtual exhibitions for the auction houses and which is the greatest thing I think that it will be very much more easier to provide the collaboration between different institutions and so to deepen the connaissance and the work of Gauguin I mean and all of other artists. Great. I'm wondering looking back at this project and all of the work that you did on it, what are some of the resources that you wished you had at your disposal? Like, are there any archives out there that you know of that hadn't been digitized when you started? Um, and if you could just 
put a wish out there to the public, which ones would you, which ones would you want? I mean, there is a lot of regrets because, for example, uh, a lot of, I mean, we have a part of Scandinavian archives, but only part of them, that's CPT, because Lugan was very linked to, um, to those collectors and it would be extremely interesting. Uh, to see it, I'm talking, I mean, for example, exhibition of Gauguin in 1893, it would be very interesting to have access to the photos of these exhibitions. Or, for example, I'm thinking as well on on Russia a lot, because a lot of archives, I mean, we have contacted the, um, the museums and archives that they could share this, some of them with us, but sometimes it's not possible. Some archives are closed and it's really pity. That that we couldn't have access to it. Can you can you be a bit more specific? Can you tell us which um, which institutions perhaps we might want to implore to digitize some of their archives? I think the one institution actually is very crucial for Gauguin. I think it's Pushkin Museum archives. They're very very important, and it would be really very great to have an access for them. Yeah, and and in Scandinavia. In Scandinavia, I'm talking about um, Birdwerk Archiv, which is in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. That would be very interesting to have it. Then we have uh, uh, archives of Osthaus in Essen that would be really very important as well, because you, you had to go there. They couldn't send you anything. Um, so that we didn't have a lot of time to, to do so. Let's see, PT2, because there is a correspondence concerning the works that were sold by... Volar uh, just afterwards, uh, after Gauguin's death in 1903. So it will be, I mean, fascinated to know exactly which paintings, what date, all these correspondences. Yeah, so. So with the catalog raisonne, the beauty of the digital catalog raisonne is that you can link to images from the archives. So we'll be linking to images from the Volard archive, I presume, and um, to other maybe archival inventory lists that we might have in-house. Um, are there any digitized archives that you think we will also be linking to that are outside of the WPI? Yeah, I think so. I think it will be important to link uh, all the archives from Zadik. That's really very important. I think we will be linking... American Archive of Art, I guess so we will be linking Getty, uh, some of more archives. Yeah, there will be a number of archives that we will link aside from Wildenstein. Can you talk about some of the digitized archives from other institutions that you were impressed with? Who's, who's done a good job in digitizing their archives? <laughs> Ah, good job. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, sometimes the source is really very valuable, but the presentation of it, it's really confusing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I, I've been worked a lot in the past as well with Sadik, so I love a lot that, I mean, the quantity of the digitized items they do have, because, for example, for Getty, there's just a part of them, but not all of them. For example, for Nordler, but for Getty, when you go for Tannhauser or some other, you have amount a lot of information, but sometimes it's not uh, it's not presented in a good way. And if you 
don't if you are not very good uh, uh, language speaker it will be difficult for you to find out the information you look for another point is that only some of them um presented i mean sometimes it's just the transcription so it's a pity but otherwise it's really complete so right right so i would hope that the digital catalog raisonné for Gauguin that you and your colleagues are about to publish will encourage archival repositories to digitize some of their holdings so that you can link to them. Um, with this digital publication, once it goes live, will you be updating it? Of course, this is one of the greatest advantages of, of the online catalog raisonné. So yeah, they, of course we will update and new information and we'll, as well we will be welcoming the researchers to collaborate with us, sharing their insights uh, and new information they could have on it. That's very exciting. Well, Evgenia, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't covered here? No, it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jen, <laughs> do you have anything that you'd like to speak about or ask Evgenia about? No, that was wonderful. I feel like I learned so much. <laughs> okay. Good. Thank you very much, Evgenia. Thank you.